What is up, everybody, and welcome to the All NBA Show, part of the All City Podcast Network. I'm your host, Adam Matas, and I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, Tim Legler. Legs, how you doing today? I'm great, man. I'm great. I'm great. Uh, it wasn't great games last night, but there's some really good stories within those games. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into these. We're going to talk about two teams in particular. One, a very good defensive team that is capable of lighting you up from the three-point line. And the other one is the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> so we're going to talk about those two teams. <laughs> and we're going to talk about the Cavs and the Warriors today. And we're also going to look through the biggest storylines. We're almost at the spiritual, although not literal, halfway point of the season. The spiritual halfway point, which is the All-Star break. So this is a chance for us to kind of just look back and say, what is this story about? What is this season about so far? And then make some predictions about what the big storylines are going to be after the trade deadline. I think it's going to be a good recap of the season so far in an interesting way. But before we get into all that, we are presented by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer this season with code ALLNBA because life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Agent eligibility restrictions apply. Void with prohibited. See DraftKings.com for detail. And if you're tuning in for the first time, hit that like button for us. We do this four times a week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, getting Legler's opinions on all of the latest news and notes and games around the NBA. So we're going to start with a game, and we're going to start with the Golden State Warriors getting the win over the Brooklyn Nets. A 109-98 win, comfortable lead for the Warriors throughout most of the second half, um, and they were able to put it away, but made a change, a change that they've been uh, making a lot lately, which was to close the game without Klay Thompson. That seems to be the headline story, but legs. Before we get into that, what stood out to you about this game? Yeah, we'll get into the Clay Thompson situation as well, but I, I'm going to start with the positive uh, for the Warriors. And look, I've I've said as a lot about Jonathan Kaminga since the yeah. very first time I saw Jonathan Kaminga. Right? I mean, it, it, at the professional level in Vegas Summer League, going into his rookie year, um, and and like the the eye popping athletic ability, you know, is so obvious to you when you watch him play, and he just. He can do things athletically that really no one else on their roster can do. I mean, Andrew Wiggins is probably their best athlete um, on the team that won the championship, and Kaminga's on a completely different level athletically than, than even Andrew Wiggins is. And so you'd see flashes of that in the regular season, and then Kerr typically would not trust him as they got deeper into the year and wouldn't trust him much in the playoffs. And, and so it always looked like, you know, that he was stalled or I wouldn't call him that people were saying he was a bust, but it started to look like all right, he's, maybe he's not going to be what that athletic ability says he should be um, in terms of potential. But here we are, man, you know, he's only 21. He turned 21 in October. And I think when I would watch him, uh, Adam, I would see a guy that didn't always look a hundred percent locked in mentally to what the Warriors were doing. And I think mm. that's why, you would see frustration on the part of his teammates, the coaching staff. They'd have a short leash on him as they got deeper into the year in situations that mattered. They just didn't trust him. He'd look a little lackadaisical at times offensively. Well, I got news for you. It's all coming together for Jonathan Kaminga right now. And I think for me, the biggest take out of the game last night, not just that, I think, look, he's had some big scoring games here over the last 10, 12 games, like the best games of his career. And he had another one last night, 28 points. It was more than that. If if Jonathan Kaminga were to make a, a tape watches the NBA about like what I am as a player or what I can be or where I'm going, last night would be the tape he would send in because he did a variety of things. First of all, they were running offense through him, either as handler of ball screen offense, which I have not seen them do at all, or 
two-man game with Curry handling the ball and him as a screen setter and then playing out of it, whether it was pick and pop, pick and dive, whatever it may be, and then letting him go when he got the ball back. That's that's one thing. Secondly, he had plays where he got the ball in the post or he got the ball in an ISO situation, particularly against Mikhail Bridges, so impressive, who is one of the better perimeter defenders in this league, super right. long, and he – he got the ball on the left wing at an important time in the game, and and, and he, he worked him a little bit with his jab step. Then he turned his back on him, took a couple power dribbles, got into the lane, and turned and elevated for about a 12-foot pull-up jumper with Mikhail Bridges right in his face. And it was so telling to me because the ball goes through the net, and it was at the Warriors' end of the, end of the court. And the reaction on the bench of like mm. how euphoric Steve Kerr was, how euphoric his teammates were – they, they zoomed in real quick to the bench, and it, and it was on an assistant coach. And it was so fast, I wasn't sure who it was. The look on his face, he kind of did one of these, like, man, like we haven't seen him do that kind of thing against that level player in a one-on-one -on -one situation. And then the last component, Adam, he got to the line 12 times. And yeah. I would say eight of those free throws, very iffy, touchy-type calls. And the reason I think that's important is because He's starting to gain the respect of officials now because he wasn't getting those calls at the beginning of the year. He wasn't getting those calls his first couple of years in the league. They would end up as off-balance shots that he would miss, land on his backside, and the, the, the coaching staff would look frustrated as the, the other team broke the other way. Now the whistles are coming his way, and they were important. Everything he did was impactful and important in this game, and I know it's the Brooklyn Nets. They're not very good. But he had situations against a very good player in Bridges, and he had situations that just significantly mattered to their team, desperate for wins, where he was like the second guy besides Curry. And I just thought it was a major breakthrough sort of statement game. And it's been going on for a while here, like I said, right. over the last month, really. But I felt like last night, it was everything you'd want to see Jonathan Kaminga do in one game, he did. And it's so important, I think, for the Warriors franchise moving forward, regardless of what happens this year. It's for the franchise moving forward, what Jonathan Kaminga potentially represents. I think you're seeing it right now come to fruition. And, man, there's so much more there still to grab. And it's exciting if you're a Warriors fan, what you're seeing out of him. You mentioned it's been a month. <clears throat> I think it's a little bit less than that. There was a there was a turning point. Kaminga, I don't remember off the top of my head what game it was. Maybe you do. But he didn't close. And I think he should have because it wasn't one of those nights where he had a really bad game. It's just Kerr sometimes, you know, oftentimes over the last several years would not reward him even in good games. And I think Steve Kerr took a lot of heat. And I think coaches sometimes will take a heat for being a little late to those types of adjustments for whatever reason. And I think Kerr, you know, there was a lot of conversation about why isn't Kaminga getting a longer leash? Why aren't they trusting in him a little bit more? And Kerr came out with some strong words about, like, it's time to give him a little bit more. It's time to trust him more. And I feel like, and I'm curious what you think, the confidence of your coach. I know these guys all come in confident. I mean, to make it to this level, you have to have some kind of in, inner confidence. But when your coach doesn't believe in you, I feel like players feel it. And when your coach makes a conscious effort to say, I need to give this guy confidence, I need to roll with him, I need to show him that he's my guy, it, it just makes such a big difference. And I feel like that game was a turning point for Kaminga in that specific way where maybe he's not looking over his shoulder as much and maybe he just feels the comfort to be able to do the type of moves you're talking about. That one against Mikel Bridges, it's a move where you're saying, hey, I'm going to go create something out of nothing. 
it takes confidence and the trust in your team to do that. And I, I that's why I feel it's so important. Absolutely. And look, I, I think, you know, I, you know, just the vibe I've gotten from talking to some of the, his teammates uh, was not never one of like, they're super excited about where he's going. Yeah. And because they're seeing things that I can't see. I'm not there every day at practice. I'm not in the weight room. I'm just not there to see how bad is this guy grinding it. All I would see is these flashes of outrageous athleticism and skill yeah. at times. And you're saying, you know, he ever puts this together. Who knows? And to your point, it's a great point you just made. And here's where the mentality, Adam, has changed for players. And it's not just necessarily even my generation, which was 1990 to 2000. I think it was even shortly after that. Take it out maybe another decade. Let's say to 2010 or so, it started to really shift in this way. When you were in a situation where you were before this current era, when you were on a team and you felt like your coach didn't have a lot of confidence in you, your feeling was kind of a dejected one. Like, I don't know how to break through with this guy. And like, you'd, you'd, it'd be frustrating. The only way you could do it was show up every day and treat practice like a game seven of the NBA finals. And we had opportunities when I played because you practiced like that in between games. And you had an opportunity to come in on a night, maybe you didn't play as much or didn't play at all, whatever it may be. The next day, you were gonna have an opportunity to go in there and, and be, you know, take that anger sort of with you and, and go at somebody in practice and hopefully try to earn your way into the rotation. But you felt like this is my team. This is where I'm at. I've got to make it happen here. I think the modern player starts to get super disillusioned with their situation and they start thinking about where else can I play? Who would appreciate me? This franchise, this coach, this set of guys. I think that that paradigm has, has happened in the NBA so to see a guy like Kaminga, who no question has been frustrated at times with a, a lack of a growing role, I think it's important that he's been able to hang in there to this point. And now you're starting to see the fruits of whatever labor he's putting into it. It's all starting to click for him. And to, to your mm -hmm. point, you said maybe less than a month. You're probably right. So he had on January 12th against Chicago, a road win. They win by nine. He had 24 points in that game, 9 for 12 from the field. And it really started from there, 24, 28, yeah. 20, 25, 31, 22, 26, 29, 16, 28. That's the run he's been on. One game, one time in the last 12 games has he been under 20 points. So, and that's really, it's one thing to show the, 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 the glimpse. We knew that. Then you have a, some couple good games. Okay, here we go. And then it'd be two steps forward, one step back with him the entire time. Or in some, sometimes it'd be one step forward, two steps back. What he's starting to understand, and I'm sure these guys are in his ear every day, and Draymond Green probably is top of the list, it's the consistency that we need to see. So now, I guarantee you, the coaches are in his ear after last night. Nine for 18, 28 points, 10 rebounds, three assists, yeah. two blocks. Right? They're telling him today, because they got three more games on this road trip. They're telling him today, all right, that's great. That's great what you did last night. What are you about to do in the next game? Because that's all we're going to care about right now. Is we're going to have a short memory with you because we want to see these building blocks. And now that he's put 10, 12 games together in a row like this, Adam, I think maybe that this breakthrough has come because all of the talent and athletic ability he needs is there. It's all there. And now he's starting to feel more empowered and respected by his teammates and by the officials, I believe. Uh, and the way I saw him officiated last night, that was totally different. He was treated on a, on a different plane. So I'm just excited about it because he's a guy I've believed in, and I think it's happening for him right now. Look, I don't know if it changes the Warriors' 
success this right. year because right. they got other issues, man. You know, Chris Paul being out. What's going on with Clay Thompson? Wiggins yeah. has struggled. You still have Steph Curry, and then you got Kaminga, and that's about the only bright spots you really have with this team right now. Is that going to be enough? If Chris Paul comes back, it's healthy. Um, is that going to be enough to do anything in the way? I don't know, but I do right. know this. At least this isn't going to be a completely empty, hollow season, no matter how it ends up, because of the steps that Jonathan Kaminga is taking right now. Another thing I liked about Kaminga is his shot chart, his shot profile. So last night, if we pull this up, Emma, he did not uh, attempt a three-pointer. And he really didn't attempt a lot outside of the paint. I mean, you got a couple there at the elbow and, you know, right there on the baseline and then two on, you know, left mid ranger. So he gets two jumpers, but everything else is in the paint. And I feel like this is one of the things with Kaminga when I watched him, you know, obviously super earlier in the year. This was one of the players we highlighted in one of our very first shows as one of the most interesting guys. I always felt like he took three or four jumpers a game that were just for him. They weren't for the team. They were for him. And when I see a game like that where you're getting these points and it's like, hey, where are you getting the points? Well, you're getting them in the paint. And why do you get 10 to 12? It's hard to draw fouls with only, you know, jump shots. So putting your mind of going there. And by the way, you mentioned, you know, Brooklyn, not a great team. They're in particular not a very big team. They have some length, but they don't have a lot of like strength. And so that was the advantage. Mikel Bridge is a great defender, but Kaminga's too strong. And not everybody knows how to use it. It was one of my criticisms of Kaminga early in the season was, I'm not sure he's a guy that knows how to use his physical advantages. Yeah. Last night he did that, and that's a big step forward. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, if we go now to the other storyline here, well, first, I joked at the intro that, uh, you know, the Warriors are not a three-point shooting team. Last night, four of 22, and would you guess it? All four of the threes came from Steph Curry. Nobody else on the team made a single three. And, of course, the number one guy you look at is Klay Thompson, O of three in this game. We've seen a lot of these lately, and he does not close the game. And afterwards, there was a very interesting interaction. Before he had even begun to speak to reporters, Draymond Green off camera asks what are they asking you are they asking you why you didn't close who cares i didn't close uh, a finals game it's no big deal good sentiment but that certainly wasn't what clay thompson was feeling in that moment and he expressed as much this is hard for him because all for two years now he's been trying to recapture the magic trying to recapture it and it just clearly looks gone and last night felt a little bit like a watershed moment where steve kerr is going to have to approach him differently and think he's not a penciled in starter or closer he's just a guy and if he's not making shots he's he's going to be treated like a guy not making shots yeah it's actually i'm going to be honest it's been very very difficult for me to watch clay lately and last night was really bad and I feel for him. He's one of my favorite players in the league. During the, his time in the league, he's been one of my top five favorite players to watch. I respect and admire him so much because of, yeah, just his talent level, shooting ability. I'm a shooter, so you know you kind of marvel at these guys that do it at that level. But it's it's more than that. He always was an impact defensive player. Took on the elite challenges to protect Curry defensively. He always did that willingly and was and was was effective in doing it. To watch him now, and he had two two plays last night that 
I, I had to replay them a couple times because I couldn't believe I wanted to see if he got hit. He shot a he cut into the lane, caught the ball about eight feet from the front of the rim in the paint, went up to shoot a little push shot, like a one-handed push shot. And and it was like two feet short of the rim. Right. And he immediately like looked at his hand. Like he couldn't even believe what just happened. Ran down the court, he's shaking his head, like in, in the next dead ball, the camera's like following him around. And he's 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 you know, he's always worn his emotions outwardly when he's not playing well that's what one of the reasons i've liked him because he cares so much but it has affected him to the point where i think it affects the next play he had another one last night where he came off of a screen he was on the right wing received a screen came running up to the top of the key like he'd done it a million times you know since you've been watching clay thompson got a wide open look where he caught the ball planted his right foot spun that left hip around squared up about a 25 footer dead on the rim and the ball hit literally like the corner of the backboard mm. on a straight on shot from the top of the key on an open three. And again, the, his reaction to it was like, it's almost like Space Jam, right? Like he, someone took his basketball abilities and he's like looking around right. like, what, what is going on? Like, is this really me? And then I was continuing to watch him really intently throughout the game because now I'm starting to see and I don't know if this is physical limitations because of the injuries or mentally he is in such a bad place because of his struggles offensively that he is now making mistakes defensively and he's not really keeping guys in front. He's been like bad on closeouts and his defensive presence is even now significantly diminished, man. It's been really sad to watch a guy that was this great have this kind of moment like night after night after night and you know splashed in a, a decent game here and there but for the most part he's at the point now where you don't even you're not expecting clay to go off or to have a good night and i think up until this point adam we were all kind of like the benefit of the doubt was always like he's going to snap out of this he has to snap right. out of this he's right. too good a shooter he's too good a player right he's he just needs to get on a roll and now i think it's the opposite the feeling you have now is I don't expect Clay to really do much. And obviously, either did Steve Kerr by taking him out of the game to close. It's not the first time it's happened to him this year. Last night was pretty pronounced, and they win a game that they had to have against a team they absolutely needed to beat on the road, and they did. They get an 11-point win, and you know they've got some really tough games coming up. And Kerr's going to have some more difficult decisions with Clay Thompson down the stretch of these games because of the way he looks. And it's just really just – Honestly, the only emotion I can conjure is sadness. I feel I feel terrible for him because it's this is such a rapid decline, so quick this has happened, and it, it just it's starting to get like you don't know, man. Is this guy going to be able to turn it around? Like, will an entire off season of good health get him ready to have another really good year? I'm not sure anymore. I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. I don't think Kerr has a hard decision. I think Kerr has an easy one. I think it's clear that that Clay Thompson is no longer a part of the core of this team. That doesn't mean he can't make an impact. But as I phrased it earlier, I think that he is now a shooter. And sometimes shooters, when they're having an off night, don't close games. It's like, hey, we needed him out there for this. He doesn't have it tonight, so we're going to go to our other options. And the other piece of this to me, because, you know, I think it's over for the Warriors this You never want to say it's over for a team that's still, you know, whatever. But I just don't see them rebounding this year. But when you think about is it over, you know, capital o over for this era of Warriors, Draymond Green has been back now for 10 games. 
Has it been six, 10 games? Uh, not even not even 10 games. He's been a positive in all of them except for one. And he's been a major positive. And he was a plus 31 in that Lakers game. Played 45 minutes and they lost. That's how, that, that's how bad they were in the non-Draymond minutes of that game. But he's been a positive. I look at it and I go, Draymond actually still impresses me defensively. He still, and I'm, I don't know how. Usually defense you think would fall off with age. He still impresses me. Steph Curry still impresses me. Kaminga, to your point, is on the rise. I do wonder if this Warriors team, some of the, I, I just wonder if it's over for the version that we know, we knew, but there are still this like secondary version they could pivot to in the coming years, you know, uh, around them. How do you feel about that? I mean, Draymond Green, most notably, but how do you feel about the Warriors might have a core of players to build around? It's just not the core that it used to be. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's, going to be the hard realization at the end of this season. And maybe maybe they're already in that realization. I think that the problem you have with when you're the Warriors is you have this all-time great player that is still playing great pretty much every night with what Steph Curry is doing. I mean, the guy just had 60 over the weekend. Um, last night, again, 12 for 24, very efficient night, 29 points. Makes all of their threes in the game, as you said. So when you when you when you still are seeing that level of greatness every night, you're trying so hard to hold on to competitiveness, because what else are you gonna do? What you're, are you gonna you're gonna go into tank mode with Steph Curry at this stage of his career? And what that's how he finishes up as a warrior? You certainly wouldn't contemplate trading him. I don't think he'd contemplate playing anywhere else. I think he wants to spend his entire career in one place. Um, so you're you're in a tough spot, man. As long as he's this good, it's just good enough to keep you interesting, entertaining, somewhat competitive. And then you're hoping that there's enough on a given night to, to, to allow you to win some games. And I, so I think you're right. I think they understand it internally. This is now, it's, it's so obvious to them what this is going to be going forward, but they can't just fully relinquish it because of Curry and the way that he looks. And it's a really tough spot to be in, man. Sometimes, You'll get to a place where the franchise had a nice run with a group of guys, and, and you know, they usually that a situation like that, they'll have one or two great players. And then you kind of make that decision, and then those guys may get moved. They might leave via free agency, like Lillard left, right? Early 30s, right. Lillard leaves right? after right. putting a decade in, and they didn't even win any championship. I don't think Steph will. You know what I mean? This is different. This is different. Like, I don't know that Steph Curry's ever going to envision himself playing in another uniform. I don't know that Clay Thompson ever really wanted to. He probably want to finish this out with Curry and the two of them right off into the sunset together as this tandem. That's probably what he wanted. But now if you're the Warriors, how do you allow that to happen? How many years is that going to take? And if it's just this continued decline, I don't know that this next group that you're talking about, this next core, is good enough to right. replenish that. And, and particularly in what the Western Conference looks like. I'm assuming you're talking about guys like Kaminga and Moody and you know even Podzemski. Like that's That's right. not enough to replace right. what you've lost with Klay Thompson's decline and Draymond Green, who's still an effective player, but certainly nowhere near what he was at his peak. I think there are some bones there that if you're a Warriors fan, I think there's some bones on the team that you could say, all right, we could build around this, but it's going to take work and it's probably going to take moving on from a lot of the guys that have been mainstays. Maybe even a Kevon Looney, by the way, who I like a lot, but you know, at some point you have to say, we just need a new identity and what can we build off the guys? I still believe in Draymond Green. Like I said, I think he has impressed me, even though, 
you know, obviously he has been unimpressive in some of the baggage he's brought to the team, and maybe that's that scares you away. But when he's on the court, he still defends like one of the best in the NBA, in my opinion. Uh, all right, let's take a break. On the other side, we're going to get to the Cleveland Cavaliers, who continue to roll 14 of 15, and they pick up a big win last night. Kind of an easy win. They keep making these easy. In the meantime, hit us with a like, and you see our headline question we're going to get to later, which is, what are the biggest stories in the NBA? I see a lot of people talking about the Thunder. Certainly a big story. Maybe you have an under the radar. I have 10 major storylines. Let's see if you guys come up with one I didn't think of. But first, the NBA is in full swing. And if you can't get enough of the action on the court, spice things up on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. You know what's fun to bet on? Well, or at least what makes the game more fun is the all-star game, the dunk competition, those types of things. You can bet on those, and at least it gives you a little competitive edge since you know the guys are going to kind of put on an exhibition and the game is kind of silly. Maybe you just bet on that one, put some props down for certain players. Right now, if you bet $5, you get 200 instantly in bonus bets, whether you win or lose. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code ALLNBA. New customers bet 5 bucks and they get 200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings with code ALLNBA. The crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 878-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 or older age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash basketball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, our other game that we wanted to touch on, and really it's more a team that we wanted to touch on, and that was, of course, the Cleveland Cavaliers, who beat the Sacramento Kings handily last night, 136 to 110, outscored them by 12 in the fourth quarter, and they continue to roll. The hottest team in the NBA continues to keep it going. What stood out to you about this one, Legs? Uh, well, I think you you hit on it, how how easy they're making it look. And they're, they're healthy now. You know, you got Mobley back, you got Garland back, back and it's – What's interesting to me about the Cavs is now the number of different ways they can beat you. When you start looking at like writing down a list of things you want to have to make you a complete team. So offensively, you want breakdown players. Like who, who are those guys that are kind of have a little bit of electricity with the ball and they can get places and create right. for themselves or other people? You want to have shooting and then you want to have some bigs that can finish stuff in the paint if, if they get opportunities. They have all of that. They've got three elite breakdown players with Garland Mitchell and Lavert. That's as good offensive trio at the guard spot as you're going to have anywhere. And then you've got a ton of shooting. They I mean, 23 threes last night, over 50% from the three-point line, right? So, and you've got a number of guys that can do it, including, by the way, the guys that I just mentioned that can break you down. All three of those guys can get their own shots from deep. It's not like they're mid-range ISO players. This isn't a bunch of DeMar DeRozans. These are guys that can beat you with step back threes, sidestep threes, or blow by you off the dribble. So those three guys are also big time three point shooters. And then they've got a bunch of catch and shoot guys. And then they've got, you know, Mobley and Allen for the most part, the two guys in the paint. They're just a complete, complete team. Here's what statistically you start diving into some of these numbers, Adam. They're 14 and one in their last 15. Here's what's mind blowing to me in this era in the NBA. 10 of those wins of the last 14, 10 of them, they've held their opponents to 102 points or less. Man. 10 times. Now think about this. 10 times they've done that in this run. The lowest scoring team in the NBA is the Memphis Grizzlies. They average 106 points a game. 
Okay, that's wow. the worst team in the Western Conference. The worst team in the East is Charlotte. They're averaging 108 points a game. The Cleveland Cavaliers have won 10 times in the last 14, holding opponents to four to six points below the lowest scoring teams in the NBA on average. That's how good they can be defensively, in addition to all the things I just listed offensively. So there's no way to round it, man. They're they're legit. They're a threat. They're relevant. They're playing great. They're, they're fully healthy now. And now with what's happened to Philadelphia and Joel Embiid, uh, I think the Cleveland Cavaliers should have the two spot in their sights. Like that should be their goal to be two. I don't know if they're going to be enough time uh, to catch Boston. They're five games back, or uh, what are they? Uh, what is, how many? How many are they back of Boston? No, they now they're only they're yeah, five. five games back. Five, five games lot. back of the Celtics with thirty-four games to play. That's a lot, okay? But they should be looking at holding on to two, and you guaranteed two rounds of home court advantage before you'd have to play the Boston Celtics. That's where they have come from. They were a play-in team like a little over a month ago, and now they're number two in the Eastern Conference. Right. I mean, it's incredible. I think they're like the Timberwolves of the East, if you really think about it. I mean, offensively, they're about average, at least statistically, but they have guys that you believe in. They have the Twin Towers lineup, and they're great elite on defense. In fact, Minnesota, number one, they're number two defensively overall in the season. And as you mentioned, the back half of that season, they've been uh, even better than that. To me, what the other piece of this, something that is different from Minnesota that the Cavs have, they have the ability to have three different versions of themselves, the all the great players together. But then you have that Garland and Mobley version that they run against benches. And if you look at last night's game, this is a perfect example. Everybody was in the positive. No configuration of this was a negative. The bench was positive. The starters were positive. And the reason for that is because you can go to, all right, we're going to pull Mobley and Garland out early. But as soon as Mitchell and Jared Allen are done with their stint, then you replace them with great guard play, great pick and roll, great rim protection. So no team get the, you don't get any seconds of the game without good rim protection. Most teams, if they have a good rim protector, there's a couple minutes where that guy's on the bench. And it's like, okay, what can we do to exploit that now? You can't do that in Cleveland. And when you look forward to the playoffs, they've had this dynamic, by the way, uh, in years past. But when you look forward to the playoffs, that would be the reason that you – I think because of how they went out last year, there's a reluctance to accept them as the second-best team or, or this or that. But I do wonder if that dynamic, as well as the emergence of some of the other guys that have been scoring and playing really well for them, including Sam Merrill, if that's a reason to think that they are different from last year's, they have a one, two, three punch in the way they can combine their stars. I completely agree with that. I think I, I, I view them a little bit differently this year. Um, I think because they've had a year under their belts now, and I think they're deeper because they have more guys now that I think that their bench went 10 for 15 from the three last night. Um, so, the, and, and the shots they're getting are great shots because their guards move the ball. You know, Donovan Mitchell doesn't play rarely every now and then he will kind of get into that mode. And I think it's more when he feels he has to on certain nights, guys don't have it going where he's going to really dominate the ball, get a lot of shots up, play like he did in Utah. He doesn't play that way as much. He's more willing to give it up earlier. If he sees tra a trap coming his way, he'll give it up early. That guy's play. And that leads to great shots on the weak side. So I think I just trust this team a little bit more. Look, if they play teams in the playoffs in the East that are a little bit more like up and down, sort of loosey-goosey, want to play that way, I think they're going to be a problem for those teams. 
you know, the Knicks are, are, are like the exception to that because of the way they're going to make you earn everything. And you know that their game plan defensively is going to be so on point with shooters. It's going to be harder for those guys, the Struces and the, the Merrills and the Dean Wades of the world to get clean looks against a team like the Knicks because they're going to be so dialed in. Some of these teams that are, are in kind of a trade basket mentality, and Boston falls into that category sometimes, so does Milwaukee. I think Cleveland's going to be a problem for those teams in that situation because they're going to defend you really well, and then I think they're going to be able to get the shots that they want on the other end of the floor. Yeah. So are you buying the Cavs is different than uh, this year than from last year? Or maybe it was just a matchup. I mean, part of this might have just sometimes – one of my big pet peeves of the NBA is sometimes it really is matchups. And I don't mean that as a total excuse. You should overcome it. But sometimes a good, not great team will look bad if they just pick the wrong matchups. Maybe it was that. No, I know. I I do buy into them more. I I think the consistency of – and and being more complete. I think last year I liked them more defensively than anything. And now I actually think, man, you know, the way way that – their offense flows and these three guards, how good they are at winning their matchup. If that's in front of them and drawing extra guys, man, and moving that ball, they really, they, they make that one extra pass that leads from a decent shot to a great shot. And so when I watch them play, there's a natural flow to it and a confidence level that comes out of playing that way together. And they also know that they've got a guy in Donovan Mitchell who, you know, he can be streaky, but he's also elite-level offensive player that can get off a clean look pretty much any time he wants. That is that is a luxury for a team to know. We've got that as well. We can play team style, or we can give it to this guy who can just beat whoever's in front of him. So I I'm impressed, man. I think I think everything I look at now in the East is different because I don't. Th- Milwaukee scares me with their defense. Philadelphia's right. missing Embiid. I think. Right. What we thought was that locked in one, two, three, and a foregone conclusion, Milwaukee, Boston, most likely in the conference finals. I don't think that that goes anymore. I think there's a lot of conversation to be had. Knicks are going to be in that discussion. The Cavaliers are going to be in that discussion. Let's see if Miami at some point makes us believe that they could be included. Is Indiana included in that? Like they're, And then, we, of course, Philly. We, we don't know exactly how far they're going to drop or if Embiid's done for the year or whatever, but – Mainly it's New York and Cleveland. I think the two teams you're looking at with what's happened at the top of the East, there's opportunity there. And I think Cleveland, more than anybody else, looks like they can seize it. All right, let's move on now to the top storylines because I'm excited to do this as sort of a recap here. We got the trade deadline coming up. Really, I know post-All-Star break is going to be a thing, but you know that that's a line of delineation. But I feel like after trade deadline, things change as well. I wish those happened on the same time. But I made a list, Legs, and you can agree or disagree as we go through it. But I made a list of what I think are the biggest stories. And I'm going to go in reverse order here. I'm going to start with number 10, and that is the Pistons losing streak. We're starting on a negative note here. But I feel like this was one of the biggest storylines in the NBA that we had a team go almost half a season without getting a win. Yeah, you have to to include it. There's no doubt. You're talking about um, historic ineptitude. You know, when you get something like that, you know, it's not just, oh, man, they're not playing well. They're losing some game. No, this is like on the verge of like, are they going to break this record that stood for 50 years? Um, and, of course, they've, they've won three out of their last 10, Adam. They're kind of on a heater right now by their standards. They've doubled their win total in the last three weeks. Uh, but you're right. There was a time when this was one of the leading stories every night. Like that was the first highlight that was showing because it was like this thing continues to mount. 
And I felt sick for everybody involved in it. I'm glad it's that part, the losing streak's over. But you have to include that for storylines. There's no doubt. I'm also glad that it happened in the first half of the season. Because I do feel like, even me, when I was going through these, it wasn't one of the first stories that popped into my head. And I'm glad. Because for a while, it was a top story. They kept losing. They kept losing. And the number was getting big. So I'm kind of glad that's in the rear view. And they've had at least a little bit of success here over the last bit. Uh, Number nine for me. I'm surprised this one came in so low. But number nine was the Timberwolves being atop the West. Now, this one is was surprising. Um, it, it was a good storyline of a team kind of making a leap. There's, of course, a redemption story there to the crazy trade of getting Gobert and this or that. But I still feel when I sit back and think of the biggest stories, maybe it's because they are now tied for West, but they've been atop the West the entire season. And so that's why they made my list. All right, so I don't want to give anything away. I haven't seen your list. This is great. I love this uh, impromptu conversation. Yeah, I don't know if you. I don't know if you got Oklahoma City somewhere else higher, but but I feel like that may be even more surprising. But the two of them, I almost would have put the two of them together as as one one line on this because I thought, it's, I thought it's, about that. Yeah, it's but surpri- don't you think that the the Thunder are a little more surprising? Like the the Timberwolves are a team that's a little more all in, and that's why it's almost. You know, not expected, but it was just a little lower in the standings to me. No, that's a good point. Actually, yeah, you're right because look, they went and they got Rudy Gobert last year, and so you're, you, you know, you've and, and Anthony Edwards is is in what he did and what he did over the summer, and you know, being the best player on Team USA, like you, yeah, this is like okay, let's go, let's see what you got. But I think there's obviously been some issues with some of these other teams that we expected to be up there in those spots that has created an opportunity. Now the Question is going to be Sacramento. Yeah, they did the same thing last year. I thought they took full advantage of a lot of teams with issues and injuries and figuring themselves out and reinventing the rosters and all kinds of stuff went on. And they just had seven, eight guys roll out every single night and played every game. They had no injuries. Everybody played. They had, you know, elite level point guard. They had a big that could play and a bunch of role players. And they're like, okay, if you guys are going to have guys sit out every night and we're playing every night, listen to what you can do. You can get the three seed in the West. And then they lose in the first round. This feels a little bit like that in terms of grabbing those spots because I think some of these other teams like Phoenix and the Clippers like, and the Lakers, like different teams you expected Dallas maybe to be up there. They're not for different reasons. Are they more viable, though, as legitimate threats to actually do something with these higher seeds than Sacramento was able to do a year ago? Yeah. Number eight for me. And this one lost a little steam. This would have been a lot higher a little bit ago, but Tyrese Halliburton's breakout. I mean, we almost take it for granted now because it happened so early, but Halliburton was a good player, a good young prospect. And he leaped, especially in the first 25 games of the season or so, he leaped into being a superstar, not a star player. He passed that. He almost broke through that mold right into the superstar mold. Now, the injuries and some of the stuff that's happened with the hamstring have taken some of it away. But I feel like when we look back, this was the year Tyrese Halliburton entered the uh, you know the upper echelon, maybe not that top you know MVP caliber players, but the guys right behind that, top fifteen players in the NBA. This is his his breakout year is one of the top stories. I completely agree. I can't wait to see the rest of this list because I, I, I I'm surprised actually that that wasn't higher, like you said, mm-hmm. because for for a stretch there, that's that he took over all basketball conversation, particularly yeah. during that play in the I'm sorry the in-season tournament and the way he played for that and it's interesting you know when a guy like this goes off to this extent kind of right before your eyes and you knew he was good you didn't know he was maybe this good 
it's interesting what that does to your franchise and the way they think. That now triggers them going out and getting Pascal Siakam. You know, Terry's Halliburton looks like a really nice player. I'm not sure that they that they you know, go in to get a guy like Siakam and, by the way, might not be done as we head right. into the trading deadline. Yep. And that's all because of the way they view their franchise now because of Tyrese Halliburton. So that's absolutely – that's a great one, man. They sit here at five games over 500, and they went a stretch without him, or they're probably seven, eight games over 500. They're probably top four in the Eastern Conference right now if Halliburton didn't get hurt for a stretch. I uh, The Pacers have lost seven of ten, and I think that – and obviously he's been out for, for some of that. And that's why, is I just feel like – he was a bigger storyline, but he's fallen a little bit in the standings by virtue of the teams that fall in the standings become less of a story over time. Um, with the exception of our next one, number seven, which is the fall of the Warriors and the Lakers. I feel like this is a story because coming into the year, the Lakers made the Western Conference Finals last year. You know, the Warriors aren't that removed from a championship. But the fact that we're sitting here at the trade deadline, and you and I yesterday asked could the Lakers make a trade that is going to make them title contenders? And we're skeptical that it's even possible that one move or one trade deadline could turn things for them. The Warriors even further from that. That's not something we thought. I think that we, we knew it was possible. But the fact that it's over really does feel over for those teams. Again, who knows the future? But it feels like it's over for those teams. And that's just a major storyline. I think it's a bigger story for the Warriors by far because even – okay, so going into last year, I thought they could. I thought they had enough possibly to repeat. And it kind of all fell apart for them. And now look at them. And you don't even know if we're, we don't even know if they're going to be involved in anything competitive late in the year. The Lakers were four games over 500 last year in the regular season. <laughs> so I feel like I've seen this story before with the Lakers, and they're probably going to end up four games over 500 this year. Last year that led to a conference final run. I don't think that will this year, but I feel like it's significantly uh, more of a story because of what the Warriors group accomplished to this point, the fact that they're only a couple of years removed from winning the whole thing, and now it looks like the bottom is falling out, like that quickly, the rapid decline on a team that looks like they still care about the regular season. I don't think the Lakers do at all. So I'm not as I don't I don't know that I would have included the Lakers to the extent that I did the Warriors in this list. Here's why I include them, and here's why I think that they belong in this conversation. Last year when the Lakers were struggling, I felt like it meant big changes were coming for the Lakers, but not necessarily, you know, I kind of pictured LeBron ending his career with the Lakers. Now this year, especially with all the mixed signals and messages and all the little things LeBron's trying to do, I almost feel like he's setting the table for his exit from LA. I could be wrong, but that's what it feels like to me. And I, I just thought this was the last chapter of LeBron and it was going to go to the wheels fail off and maybe, you know, plays with his sons or, or this, or that. Now I look at it and I go, this might be the last year of LeBron in LA. And there's this other chapter, who knows what it'll be, but this other chapter of LeBron. And that's why it's a big storyline to me. Yes, last year they were able to rally and make it happen. Although I'm not trying to discredit what the Lakers did, but they were swept by the, you know, by the, the Nuggets. I don't, they had a good run and beat some teams that were sort of on their level. I just don't buy that they are actually that close to a title. And that's why, that's why I included them on this list is it feels like the final chapter of this LeBron Lakers era. Number number six to me, the Knicks trade. Now, the Knicks were playing well before this, but getting OG Ananobi to me and the way that the team has looked with him in the lineup to me is a major storyline because the Knicks were a good team, a good, fun team, 
but they were not contenders. And now we look at it and anything's possible with them. So the Knicks, the Knicks trade is a, a major storyline to me. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's, it's perfectly placed, I think, in this list, too, because I and I think this really is correlated to the trade because we viewed the Knicks as a team that we knew was gonna be tough, you know, tough out, tough to play against all that. Yeah, but really, really, the way that everybody is talking about the Knicks has completely changed in the last month. It's really since the trade and the way that they've played. And now, you know, you're thinking, man, they can just continue to keep their head above water waiting on Randall to come back after the All-Star break and now see him for an extended stretch with Ananobi uh, and Brunson. Everybody, every single uh, tenor about the conversation regarding the Knicks is completely changed now. You're actually, We're actually looking at this team as a threat. I don't think we viewed them as a threat. We viewed them as a tough out. That's how we viewed them, and that's not how we describe them anymore. And I think Adenobi has a lot to do with that. So that's 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 good. I like that one. We spent a lot of time on the Knicks this week, so we'll go quickly. Number five. Now we're in the top five. Joel Embiid's injury is a top five storyline of this year, and this one just happened this week. But Embiid was obviously a favorite for MVP. He was dominant, and this felt like the Sixers. It was one of those years where you go, "Is this the year?" It kind of feels different, and the injury completely voids all of that. Um, it's probably the single biggest event that has shifted, I would say, the title odds or, or what have you, because it feels like it's eliminated one contender. But that, to me, is why it's a top-five storyline. Yeah, it belongs in here for sure, maybe even higher. Um, depends on what I hear for your top four. But So two things happened with that injury. One, Sixers' fortunes. I, I bought more into them than I did the previous versions of any, any team that Embiid played on in Philly. Because they had, I've said it a million times, they had massive issues at the lead guard position in big spots between Simmons and Harden. I don't feel that way about Maxi. This team had a flow to it, a bounce. They, they had a confidence level to them collectively, and Maxi gives them a lot of that with his emergence. So, one, you now have a team that I thought literally could challenge, maybe conference finalist. Who knows? And if you get to that point, man, maybe a finalist. They were in that mix. The other thing that, that was taken away – I think Embiid was going to win the MVP. If he stayed healthy, no from the time he came back, if he stays healthy the rest of the year, and he, of course he gets the 65 in, if that was going to be the minimum number, he's going to win MVP. So he goes back to back for MVP also. So that also now changes because now I think it's more of an open discussion. And a number of guys, I think, were led into the conversation with Embiid's injury. So those, those are two big storylines, the MVP and then title contention, and they both disappeared uh, in the blink of an eye. Number four, I have Harden and Kawhi's Clippers. Harden and Kawhi. So you could just say the Clippers. But the reason I like this is, one, the story, if you were to dis distill it, the Clippers are title contenders. Some people think title favorites with how well they've been playing. They've had the best record since November 17th. That's a majority of the year. But Kawhi Leonard playing, we've for the last several years, we have not talked about him as the best player in the NBA. He's not in that discussion. He's playing like he belongs in that discussion over the last two months of the season. And then James Harden coming in and not wrecking chemistry, but actually completing the team. To me, that's why I said Harden and Kawhi's Clippers. They're a huge storyline. And now here you go down the final stretch and you look at it and say, they're as good as anyone. Yeah, th listen, they absolutely are. I think um, if that group stays healthy, they potentially could win the entire thing. And we've always known that they had enough talent to do that. I, I think even without getting hard, if, if Kawhi just stayed healthy, Paul George stayed healthy, Westbrook stayed healthy, and, 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 and they had the same role players, I think they had a chance to contend. It's really built around Kawhi's health. The fact that you added another guy to the mix 
that's this comfortable and playing this well and can be dominant still at times when he has to be but doesn't have to be every night, which I think is a perfect place for Harden, you're right. I mean, how can you deny it? Because the Clippers were one of those teams we just always waited for, okay, when's he going down? When When's it happening? These guys are not going to stay healthy, yet here we are. You know, they have, what, 33 games left uh, in the year, and so far so good, knock on wood. I, I want to see these guys stay healthy for a playoff run because it makes the Western Conference playoffs that much better. So, yeah, definitely deserve to be on this list. They also have the number one offense over that span. So November 17th, again, cut off the, the early part where the trade just happened and this or that. But the last 40 games, they've had the number one offense. And I don't think most people would guess that. With the, the year of offense and all of the teams that are putting up crazy numbers, I don't think people would have guessed them number one. But they are by, by a decent margin. Number three is the Thunder rising. So the Minnesota Timberwolves were way down at nine. The Thunder are higher despite the fact that they have the same record right now. And they're higher because it's just so much more of a surprise and because there's so much more headroom for them in the in the coming years. As I mentioned, the Wolves are a little bit, they push their chips in to be in the spot. But the Thunder, I think those of us who are most bold on them, and I include myself in this, I thought they were going to be a fifth seed, fourth seed maybe, and who knows, things break right. Like last year, Sacramento was a three seed. They could do that. I didn't think they were going to be the one seed. I didn't think that they were going to beat all of the best teams in the NBA at some point throughout the season and look as good and as composed as they are. So the Thunder, th this is not just their entrance into the upper echelon. It's sort of their entrance into the next era. I, it feels like they are here and they are going to be here for the next several years. Uh, and this is you know particularly fascinating because of the age of their core. And this really wouldn't be possible. We've known about Shea Gilgis-Alexander already. But this isn't possible, what you're talking about, without what's going on with Jalen Williams and Chet Holmgren. And they are 22 and 21 years old, respectively, and they're playing every night, literally like all-star caliber players. That's that's how good they've become. And Jalen Williams in particular, what he gives them now with his confidence offensively and that you can now put Shea on the bench and it becomes Jalen Williams' team is really fascinating to be able to watch that because I think he was primarily looked at as a defender when he came in. Now he's turning himself into this really dynamic all-around player and here they are. And here's what else is interesting. Who would have thought going into the year we would have been like really all kind of sitting on the edge of our seats? I wonder if Oklahoma City is going to do anything at the trading deadline. We were, we didn't care about that. Now it's like, wow. Right. Like this has been the debate going on for weeks. Are they going to just ride it out and see really how close they are going through a playoff run together? Because they've got a lot of assets. They've got a lot of draft capital. Right. and They've got things they can do to go make a move if they want to. Or do they look at it like, hey, you know what? Our time could be right now, but we probably still need to add a piece. Let's do it. If it's the right guy and they feel like this is the window to get that guy, and if you pass on it, he won't be available in the summer, maybe they do something. But the fact that we're even concerned with what the Oklahoma City Thunder could potentially do uh, going into this week with the trading deadline, that tells you all you need to know about how far they've come. I think if you were to make a list of the most surprising like breakout players this year, I think the Thunder have two of maybe the top five in Jalen Williams, who we knew was going to be good, but the degree to which he's been good. And then Chet Holmgren too, because we knew Chet was good and we knew it, but we thought he would look more like a rookie. The fact that they have two of those guys, as well as all the other pieces that seem to be falling into place, it's just, it's a huge, huge storyline and would be number one. And I, and I think in a lot of years, but these top two really, to me, define the season. And number two is the scoring six 60 point games, 
nine players with 50 point games and 42 different players, not 42 times, 42 different players have 40 points this year. This year, and this might be the most long lasting storyline, honestly, is that this year had so many statistical anomalies that continue to happen. But the scoring to me, both at a team level and at an individual level, is a defining trait of the 2024 season. Yeah, it's no doubt about it. It's, uh, you know, you you have that that number was reserved for, you know, the, the most epic of nights. And you could, like, make a very short list of guys that have done it historically. And now it just, just seems like you're waiting every week for another guy to do it. And what's also interesting is, by the way, I think four of those games that, that the guy lost that scored that those points, which is another interesting dynamic to it. Right. Usually a guy goes off like that, you expect them to win the game. It, listen, it's been it's been it's been the, the, kind of the talk of the league, I think, all year. You know, we had a night earlier this year with five teams scored 140, 10 teams scored 130 <laughs> on the same night. So we we've had we've had you know some of these team nights, we've had individual nights, and I don't think we're done, man. I think we're gonna get somebody else. There's a list of guys that are capable of doing it. We've talked about it before. I think you're probably gonna get another one or two games this year where guys go off like that. So it. I don't know. It's it's a debate. You know, do fans like it better? Does it create more interest? Does the league like it? Do we like it? Uh, it it's very it's very debatable point because um, we can't believe what we're seeing that this many guys get to that number that easily. The forty point threshold to me is interesting because to score forty, that's not a crazy number, but you should have to be a scorer to get it. It's not like anybody could, can score forty in the NBA. Well, maybe not so true this year. Jaron Jackson Jr. has two of such games. Kate Cunningham has one. P.J. Washington has one. Terry Rozier, Keegan Murray, um, Tim Hardaway Jr., Bogdan Bogdanovich. These are guys who are good players, but you wouldn't think of them as volume scores. Like P.J. Washington, you know, so that to me, it's scoring is just so crazy this year. But the number one storyline, can you guess it? The guy, the, there's one player I haven't mentioned so far. And as I was thinking about this, I actually think it's the number one storyline. That's Victor Wimbanyama. Just such, he came in as the top storyline and the way he has played and the way he has grown. I mean, a lot of guys go through a rookie season and they might have a little peak, like, you know, they start to, to grow a little bit midway through the season. Maybe they run out of steam. Victor's, somebody showed a graph the other day of his like advanced metrics and it was almost a vertical line where every game he seems to get better. Um, and the numbers he's putting up, three blocks and a steal. If you go through the history of the league, how many players have averaged three blocks and one steal ever in their career? The list is like Akeem Olajuwon and Andre Karolinko and Patrick Ewan, like all your greatest defenders in their absolute apex. He's doing it as a rookie. So Victor Wimbanyama to me has been worth it. He has been on national television nonstop this year, and I thought, man, that's a little early for a rookie. He's justified it because he's been that compelling. It's going to be interesting to see. I agree with everything you just said, by the way, and he has shown incredible growth. He, you know, he's it's it's not a team you're going to want to watch much. You're going to want to watch him, and you're going to want, want to watch him periodically to get progress reports. And it's been steady. And he's gotten better at holding position. He runs the floor now. And he can seal guys better. Uh, he's not just drifting on a three-point line. He's more willing to take contact. He stays on balance better on his drives. Um, he, he, he's getting more comfortable because his handle was something we were all kind of surprised by coming in. Like, wow, how's a guy that big handle the ball like that? But then he struggled with that early because it was an adjustment to the guys this athletic and long, and he was, wasn't able to handle the ball in tight spaces. Well, he's getting better at doing that now. He's done some incredible stuff on, in transition this year, you know, that you just can't believe he would even attempt in a game, much less pull it off. 
So all those things are true. And it's, what's really interesting is, Adam, I thought at one point I thought this is going to be a travesty if Jeff Holmgren does not win Rookie of the Year. Right. Because of his numbers yep. on a team that is potentially could be number one in the Western Conference. Now, they're probably going to win. Right now they have 25 more wins, Oklahoma City, than San Antonio. That number by the end of the year could be 30 to 35 more wins. Okay. And with a guy averaging whatever, Holmgren's like an 18 and 10 and three block guy, whatever, shooting 50, 40, 90 yeah. practically, right? You're like, wow, that's got to be rookie of the year. The only thing I thought that could possibly take it from him is if Wembanyama on a bad team just starts putting up really big stat lines night after night after night. And that's kind of what he's doing now. So I think we actually have a real discussion. And if Wembanyama keeps this up the rest of the year, I mean, he, you know, his numbers get to like 22 and 10, 11 with three, four blocks a game. That's right. going to be difficult for Chet Holmgren to overcome, even though to me, if, if, if you're talking about 22 and 10 or 18 and nine, and the shooting splits that Chet Holmgren has on a team that's number one in the West, I'm still giving it to Chet Holmgren. But I just think Wembenyama, what he's doing lately statistically, is now making this a conversation. Because for the most part, it is a stat-based award. But I do think more merit should be given to being in a competitive environment, being a starter on a really right. good team. And I know I understand he, you know, had a year hurt, so everybody you know, will throw that in there. Yeah, it's a second year. I, I get it, but I didn't make up the rules. Okay, right. he's, he, he win rookie of the he's year. Eligible. Other guys have done it. Other guys yeah. have done it. So I don't know. I don't know how you feel about it. You think Wemby's closed the gap now because of the stats every no night? Question. And, or are, you, are you like me? Like, I want to reward the guy, if it's even close statistically, reward the guy that's on the team that's playing relevant games every night. I, I think it's not just the stats for me. It's also you watch a guy play. I think he's grown as a player because I do think there was a little bit of a, I don't want to say a sideshow, but there was a little bit of a, oh, look at that. He blocked a three-pointer and, you know, he dunked from the foul line and this or that. It's cool, but does it make an impact? But I think that over the last, you know, like I said, over the last two months, the stuff he does is not, it doesn't feel like a sideshow. It feels like, oh, that's a really impactful thing he can do repeatedly. And now teams are affected by it, scoring in different ways, the confidence with which he takes various types of shots. It, it's that to me. So it's not just the statistical part of it. And also when you watch the the Spurs play, it's just so clear that it's not, they're not losing because of Wimbanyama. Like, you know, there's some, there's some rookies where it's like, all right, they have a long leash and you're going to lose because of them, but you have to go through it. It's not, that's not what's going on with the Spurs. So that's why it's not just the numbers. It's all of it. But regardless, 2010, three and one uh, from a rookie player and just the stuff he does, it's a story. And I think we're going to remember Wimbenyama's rookie season for a really long time. And to speak on it, it does feel to me like LeBron's rookie season versus Carmelo's where Carmelo and LeBron early on, not just statistically, but also impact, you would look at it and say, I don't know, they look somewhat similar. But by the end of the year, it was clear that LeBron was a more impactful player with a significantly higher upside. Le Carmelo led the Nuggets to the playoffs, so you you know you had to factor all that in. But I think at the end of the day, it's probably Wembenyama, like it was definitely LeBron James back in the day. Uh, we don't have time to go through all of the biggest storylines going forward, so let's just pull up the final graphic here, Emma. These were my ones. Uh, actually, that one as well. But we'll also go to the, the one for the upcoming season, the rest of the season here. I think that the top storylines going forward are going to be Doc's impact on the Bucks, The race for the one seed out West. Very interesting race out West because there's a basically a four-way tie right now. 
for number one. You you might be number one on the final week of the season and fall to fight to number four in the final week. That'll be a big storyline and it'll affect the playoff race. I think home court in the East, it's less about one through eight and it's more probably two through six right now, but that'll be a top storyline. I think the fit of Halliburton and Siakam, we've seen it a little bit on the fly, but now that you have the all-star break, you get some practices in, can they become more dynamic and more exciting and throw a wrench into the playoff race? And then number five, the MVP race. We haven't had an MVP race like this for a while, Legs, because it's been Giannis, Jokic, and Embiid in some order for the last five, almost six years. Five years, it's been that those three guys. This is the first time where we have to open it up and start to invite. Because Embiid's out, we now have to open it up and look around and say, who else is in this? Is it Luca? Is it Shea? Is it Jalen Brunson? Um, who else gets to be in the fold? And that's something different that we haven't had for a long time. I agree. And it's interesting to me, and I, I don't blame you, but you just left the name out. And I'm finding this more and more and more. And it's ironic because they now, for the first time, I think people would say this might be the clear cut best team in the league. And because Tatum's gotten so much additional help, his yeah. name doesn't come up anymore. It's crazy, right? But And so I think he'd have to be included. Like if you end up with the best record in the NBA, you're the best player and you're you're an all-league player, you, you're probably going to get some votes too. So I think he probably would be included in that. But your point is great. I think Embiid, who clearly to me was the front runner, now it becomes more of an open conversation. I'm not even sure if Jokic – was even considering like, you know, he doesn't seem like the guy that kind of got us thinking about getting another one. Like, you know, I got my two, right. I got my ring. I'm much more concerned about getting more rings. So it is what it is. But now that it beats out, maybe, hey, Jokic looks at it more like, hey, you know what? Maybe I maybe I still do have a chance to win this thing because now I think it's a real healthy conversation amongst a handful of guys. And I don't think that was necessarily the case when Embiid was healthy. By the way, not mentioned in my list of uh, top 10 biggest storylines so far this season the in-season tournament, which is kind of funny because it was a big deal when it happened, but I feel like it doesn't feel like one of the biggest stories. It kind of feel like a thing that happened and went and, you know, it, it hasn't had this lingering impact. Um, but maybe you disagree. If you do disagree, we appreciate you checking out the show. So leave us a comment. Let us know what we left out. Somebody said the Phoenix Suns. They, I, I thought about adding them, but I either going forward or behind, they kind of feel right there in the middle there. Until they do something and move into the upper echelon, I just have them more on the fringes of that discussion. But maybe you disagree. Um, Emma, you could cue that music, but let me know the super chat we had that came in. Right now, Jay Money says, in my opinion, how good the Nuggets did in the draft, getting Julian and Peyton Watson, replacing the likes of Bruce Brown. For first-year players, they are good. I think you're right about this, but I don't think we can call this a major storyline until we see how they do in the playoffs. It might, I mean, a lot of teams added guys on the fridge. Pajenski this year has been a, a, you know, similar to what you're seeing from those guys from Denver. They're good stories, but until you see what they look like in the playoffs, they might just be a good side story, you know, not a main story. At least that's how I feel, Legs. It's a great point. No, it's, it's true because coaching mentalities change, rotations get shorter, trust gets shorter. Uh, so that's when that's when it becomes a real a real storyline is when they're actually able to translate what they do in a regular season to the postseason. And we don't we just don't know that yet for those guys. Yeah. Everybody, thanks for hanging out with us. We're off tomorrow. Uh, do us a favor, hit that like button, rate, review and subscribe if you have not done that already. Thursday is the trade deadline. We'll have a show before the trade deadline, but there should be a lot of stuff happening in and around it. And then, of course, Friday, we'll have a trade deadline roundup show for you. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you th Thursday.
man. 